drink beer, think beer. You're listening to Broodlands. Hey, welcome to episode 79 of Brew Bloods. I'm Mark, joined by Dustin, and uh, we're in the uh, basking in the afterglow of Thanksgiving. Sure, yeah. yeah it, it, you look like your point. head is glistening from the meat sweats already. Oh uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm always. I'm always got some sort of sweat. Meat sweat, vegetable sweat. Yeah. Well, post Thanksgiving, it would be more. It would be more meat oriented. I would think. Yeah. Um, we have a very special episode coming up uh, for North Texas Beer Week, which was a couple weeks ago. Um, we got had an opportunity to go down to our favorite brewery, Petticolas. <laughs> Shocker! <laughs> and a place we never visit. We never go there. Um, it's one of our homes away from home. <laughs> um, but uh, we had a chance to interview Dave Ingbers, the co-founder of Founders Brewing out of uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. You may have heard of them. Yeah, perhaps. If you've uh, ever had a craft beer and yeah. you haven't had a Founders craft beer, then, then you're weird. I wonder what's wrong with you because they are one of the most popular, widespread. And uh, they have a lot of intro beers, I would yeah. say, too, for people that are trying to get into crafts for mainstays. Also, they have one of the best IPAs with the Centennial sure. IPA. So that's one of my favorite, apart from the, uh, I mean, sorry I'm supporting Big Beer, but I really love the Blast Point, you know, Sculpin IPAs. <laughs> the, the, the one Sculpin is fine. The rest yeah, of them the can jump no, off the pier. Not any of, like, I don't know, like watermelon or grapefruit or, or anything yeah boysenberry <laughs> ipas yeah I'm, i don't need any of that no variety. founders has founders has a hell of a ca- uh, catalog from top to bottom anyway i mean you have the centennial like Javi's talking about that's one of my IP- favorite ipas still the all day ipa uh the all day is a great what, session beer IPA is like the, the awesome like summer beer the session IPA. It's yeah a, it's a great I, I, summer like beer it's what great i use for beer. like the pool you know yeah or if you just don't want to get a buzz and you just right. want to have some good beers and it'll, you can have like Six of them, and you're fine. And of course, you know, probably it's a nice thing like that. So it's a, the cheapest too, because sure. like what like twenty four is an eight is eighteen bucks or something like twenty four pack. Kroger, I just pack. bought a fifteen pack for nine ninety nine. There so you go. Yeah, that's cheap. See, that's awesome. That's yeah. a deal twice the price. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and of course, they are all very noted for their KBS, which they store in gypsum mines uh, underneath the city of Grand Rapids. Their KBS, their uh, Canadian breakfast stout as yes, well. The CBS, yes, the uh, CBS. Their regular breakfast stout, mm-hmm. which just mm-hmm. came back mm-hmm. around, is great. I mean, they got so much. Of course, most everything that I've had from them. Uh, I know we said before uh, that Stone, we liked almost everything from them, mm-hmm. which was true about almost everything except for those couple of one-offs. Yeah. But I really can't think of a Founders that I didn't at least think was okay right. at the minimum. Right. There's none of them I hated. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, they're yeah. a solid, uh, solid brewery, and it was great to talk to Dave. It was a we jumped at that chance to do that. We sure. we actually missed out. We were supposed to go talk to uh, Doug Odell from Odell Brewing that day, but we got our times wrong, and we showed right. up an hour after he had left. Right. Although yeah, he, and he, apparently no one was even there. Like no one even knew yeah. he was there. No one was talking, so it would have been perfect. But and, and to be that fair, was our fail. To be fair, he did leave an hour early, so we probably would have just met him had he not left early. Right. But maybe if some other craft beer fools would have showed up and it, showed some respect. It almost sounds like it. Well, not almost. It also sounds like he was a little beaten because no one was. Yeah, I no one totally was understand. But so we missed that on that one. But we did get to, uh, like I said, talk to Dave Ingers, which was awesome. I'm very thankful for that. Thanks to the people at Pedicles for hosting us. Thanks for Tate Lifto, who's their local rep here in Dallas. He sure. uh, used to work for local brewery Rabbit hole and uh we had a great time we got to share a big luscious with him uh yeah and uh we had a mango magnifico which yeah. was great yes um, got actually got uh, michael pedicles to try that even though he hates uh <laughs> the sweeter adjuncts or the spicier beers so yeah made the claim he'd never do that yeah that or smoked beers but you know he, he did enjoy theirs yeah and but, yeah you know i've 
been a noted Ninkasi homer on here, but yeah. before Ninkasi was around, Founders was definitely my go-to brewery. Right. No doubt about it. Well, uh, it was a, it's a wide-ranging discussion. Uh, Dave is a super chill guy, laid he back. Um, Javi will uh, be mad that he went to the Brewer's Ball in cargo pants. Right. And a, t- a tucked in flannel shirt. Uh, but uh, anyways. He's earned that right. Here comes earned that right. Hope you enjoy this interview with Dave Ingers, co-founder of Founders Brewing. All right. Well, we're uh, here at the Petticles Brewery for North Texas Beer Week 2016. And uh, we're lucky enough to be joined by Dave Ingers from uh, co-founder of Founders Brewing Company. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have you. Uh, we're longtime fans of yours and your breweries, of course. And all the beers you guys make. So thanks for uh, thanks for letting us uh, chat with you today. Absolutely, we love talking about uh, founders and all things great beer. It's great to be in Texas. How long have you uh, been here? Uh, just a couple of days. We've done anything exciting in the last couple of days? Uh, I, there's been a lot of things that have been exciting. Gotten to meet a lot of great, uh, a handful of brewers, uh, a lot of great beer enthusiasts, some great retailers. So uh, the 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 beer community here in Texas is strong right now. So uh, did they, I don't actually know how this part works, did, did uh, who brought you down here? Did the company, your company, because you have a rep here with us that works for you? Did yeah, so, um, you know, I'd, I'd heard about uh, the Brewer's Ball and, um, you know, all the activities going around this week. And uh, Tate Lifto, our market manager down here, uh, reached out to me a few months ago and just said, hey, it'd be great to have you come down here and talk to some of the the." The retailers and the consumers and, um, you know, spend some time with our wholesaler as well. So, right. um, yeah, so, I mean, it's our responsibility as a brewer to come out and um, support all the folks that uh, allow us to do what we get to do for so a living. great end of your job, Ed, just be able to travel around and drink beer, huh? It's not all that bad. <laughs> so what's been your uh, favorite local beer here? Um, you know, it's, I, don't, I never use words like favorite because um, there, there's so many great beers. Um, and I, I think that they're all very interesting. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, I typically when I'm out on the, on the road, I, I try to drink as much local beer as possible, mm-hmm. which is sometimes difficult because we're, we're doing events that are surrounded, you know, yeah. by our brand. Um, but, you know, I really do try to, to find the local flavors. And, um, you know, I kind of open it up wherever we are, just kind of mm-hmm. talk to the bartender and say, hey, what do you have, you know, tell me what what local IPA do you have that's, that's you're really impressed with. So. Is that your favorite style's IPA? I tend to drink more hop-forward beers. Um, you know, we're here now, and I think we've sampled about eight or nine different beers. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at, at a certain point, you kind of get palate fatigue. Right. But um, anyway, but it's fun. It's, it's not so much always about the beer, but it's about the people that are behind the beers and the brands and, um, you know, just getting to talk to people. So was uh, is the all day IPA was that your baby? Um, you know, again, we kind of fall back at the founders of family, the uh, the fa- founders family. Wow, mm-hmm. I guess those eight beers <laughs> yeah. are starting to hit me. <laughs> um, you know, there's a handful of people responsible for everything we do, and so um, I think we all have kind of different versions of it. All day didn't mm-hmm. didn't happen overnight. It was about a three year journey for us as we started to try to find a um, a beer that was. A little bit lower in alcohol, but still had all the flavor that you'd expect from Founders. And so we, um, you know, we obviously wanted to try to do something that was unique. And so we were experimenting with hops that were, um, you know, from all over the world. We were trying to do something that we hadn't done before. But there's there no question. There was a, a certain flavor profile that we were looking for. Um, 
and you know it's not just about the hops it's about finding the right malt bill and um you know we we didn't want to do anything that was you know we didn't want to take an ipa and just water it down i mean we this beer was uh all day ipa was really geared towards hardcore beer enthusiasts who are looking for an alternative to um you know something that was you know our centennial ipa is seven point two percent alcohol so we're trying to find something that had a different flavor profile but much lower in alcohol and i mean the reality is in our line of work we tend to there are days that you you might have quite a few beers and we're also uh, a lot of us are parents and you have responsibility of being a a a husband and father and so you know trying to crank down four or five centennial ipas and then going going home and trying to read to your kids and being a, a responsible parent you know sometimes i was falling asleep before my kids were so um Anyway, but that was uh, that was kind of my version of um, trying to find a beer that one, like I said, lower in alcohol, but still had all that flavor. And uh, it was a it was a long journey, but we made it. And you know, now all day is the third highest uh, highest volume IPA in the country. It's right. the number one selling craft can in the country. So yeah, it's been cranking it out. You guys hit the right time with everybody. A lot, well, a lot of drinkers moving towards uh, more sessionable drinks instead of the. The big bad, you know, beers. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting because, like I said, the goal was to make a beer that was really geared towards the um, the hardcore craft enthusiast. But we what we found is it also was a beer that has kind of opened up the craft category for a lot of people that were mm-hmm. were craft curious. You know that. Um, so the the beer is not too bitter. It has nice hop aroma, um, but it it is somewhat approachable. And so um, we're finding it. It's been you know hitting on. The, the existing market as well as you know kind of a, a new uh, addition to teaching people about getting into this category is it still your sales leader it is yeah, yeah. and um, you know essentially by a long shot really um, the, the all day was first released I think in 2013 mm-hmm. um, initially we released it in four states our hop contracts weren't as strong as they needed to be um, and uh, so Unfortunately, when we released it, it had to be released on a very limited basis. Um, the following year, we had much stronger hop contracts, and uh, we were able to forecast a little better. Um, then we released it, I think, probably at the time. We were probably in 18 states or so, and um, it just took off. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it was supposed to be a seasonal brand. Uh, immediately, we changed it to a year-round brand. It was the catalyst for us to get into aluminum. Mm-hmm. started... You know, got into a canning line, um, and then we brought it from a 12-pack to a 15-pack, which um, I think it was Kraft's first 15-pack, and, you know, the, the numbers just don't lie. It just started crushing it everywhere. You guys have any inclination of doing something like that? Was it Lone Star that did the 100-pack? Uh... I saw that a few years ago. <laughs> uh, they don't... Austin. <laughs> What's that? It was in Austin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, uh... Yeah, the difficult pack to carry. Yes, just just a little bit. I, I want to go back because w- I'd love to know, and I'm sure you've got a lot of these questions a million times, but uh, I've never asked them of you, so it's going to be fresh to me, if not to you. Um, I would love to know the history of not just uh, Founders itself, but your own personal history. Go back, like, before you were a brewer, uh-huh. you know, who were you? So, uh, I, I had the same name. <laughs> um, Where'd you grow up at? I, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, you know, town where Founders... Uh, both my partner, Mike Stevens, and myself were both born and raised in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to school at Hope College. Um, and I, I guess, you know, to answer your question, how did we get into this? Um, 
I started um, drinking beer when I was pretty young. Um, and when I went out to California when I was 17 years old, I visited my oldest brother, who I didn't really know very well. Um, he'd moved out when I was seven. Um, I think he's 10 years older than I am. And um, by the time I was in high school, I, I really just didn't know him very well. I'd see him over holidays occasionally, and that was it. And so um, I went out there for spring break and um, picked me up from the airport. We went directly to a, a bottle shop, and um, we bought a bottle of Mendocino County Red Tail Ale. And um, honestly, that was I, I say it's the sip that changed my life. I'd, you know, I'd been drinking domestic premiums and... Um, you know, my dad really drank some really terrible beers. He drank <laughs> like whatever was on sale and some right. lot of lot of like really like discount brands. Um, he's, he's not much of a beer drinker. And I tried this beer, and I'd never had a beer that had so much flavor. Yeah. And um, which is kind of funny because you know Mendocino's it's, it's a nice beer. It's a really well made, well balanced beer, but it's an amber ale. It was mm -hmm. you know it wasn't full of hops. It didn't have you know, a bunch of piney notes or anything. It was just a smooth, easy drinking, really nice beer. Um, but that was the, my catalyst to getting into the industry, um, or at least getting interested in craft beer. And then when I was 19 years old, my, uh, my folks bought me my first homebrew kit and encouraged, I mean, it was pretty, like, parents are cool, and they encouraged me. If, if there was something I enjoyed, they said, well, why don't you learn how to do it yourself? And so I started homebrewing when I was 19, and then um, during my college years, you know, quite honestly, it was I didn't brew during during the school year, but during the summers I would, you know, I was reading more and more uh, books on brewing, and um, you know, it's a, it's a great hobby. And uh, at, during college, I, at the end of you know my four years, I would just everyone kept saying, "Do what you love." Mm -hmm. And so um, after my partner Mike had gotten out, he graduated a couple of years before I did. And this was kind of our pipe dream, you know, three o'clock in the morning talks and what are we going to do when we get out of here? And um, anyway, so I, after I graduated, I taught elementary school for one year. And after my first summer, I said, I never want to have time <laughs> off again. And yeah. that it was kind of a tough time. Yeah. And, I was, and at the time, everyone kept saying, you know, you've been brewing all these beers. And I used, at that point, I probably had two or three beers going, mm -hmm. you know, year round. And, um, so, you know, to the point where you didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't drinking that much, but I, I enjoyed, I just enjoyed what, you know, how beer brought people together and sharing it with friends and family. And um, anyway, so we, I called Mike up and I said, hey, we got to do this. We got to get into this industry. And th that's kind of the whole idea is that live life without regrets. Right. And, uh, you know, never have to say what if. Did you, uh, did you ever make a convert of your dad to your, to your beer? Yeah, my dad drinks our beer. Um, all the time now but uh you know and my dad was a, an early supporter mm -hmm. in, our, in our early days when we were bartending you know i remember when i opened up you know we weren't taking paychecks and so as we started working you know the, the pub was open thursday friday saturday and then it was wednesday and tuesday and monday and finally i was like all right i'm open up on sundays because you know essentially we didn't have any money so my dad would come down there and he'd, he'd sit across from me and we'd play cribbage and uh, you know, we'd, I'd sit there and drink a beer and play cards, and uh, you know, my parents have always been very supportive. That's cool. It, does he still go back to things like Natty Light or Budweiser? No, no, he drinks uh, <laughs> all founders. All founders, and uh, I assume he gets it for free. Uh, no, my my father has always been a proponent of never no. taking anything for free. He always buys his own beer, and you know, I'm like, Dad, let me, you know, let me 
I got your tab. And he's like, no, yeah. I pay for my own beer. Let's, uh, that, that's really cool to hear. It's, um, you guys, you and Mike met in school, I guess? Yeah. What were uh, your degrees? Um, I'm English communication and education, and I think Mike is, I think he was communication. Neither, neither one of us ever took business classes or marketing classes. Or, right. So, yeah, we had a, a pretty decent learning curve. Uh, what, what grade did you teach in the winter teaching? I taught early, early elementary. Um, like I said, I taught for one year. Right. And um, um, it wasn't that I didn't that I dislike teaching, but it was really just more of a lifestyle. Right. I, I had this idea of, you know, um, teachers should, are so, should be so well-respected because they do uh, such a difficult job with all these kids. But quite honestly, it was like the summers. I, I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do this for the next 40 years of my life and have these three months off. And mm-hmm. um, I I'm just have that personality. Like I like to like to have something to do. Busy. And, yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. I, I think I get involved way too in way too much stuff. Um, uh, so often to the point where I get overwhelmed because I've got so much going on. So I'm trying to make an effort right now to kind of scale back things and, you know, just relax a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I certainly understand that drive. Um, I know you guys uh, early on in Founders, when you first got started, you definitely had a series of uh, troubles, for lack of a better term. Um, I know oh, yeah. there was the, 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 oh, the uh, oh, what was it, not the cutter uh, beer you made? Oh, bolt cutter. Bolt, bolt cutter, yeah. Um, I know a little bit about it. Can you expand on this story about how that beer came to be and the story behind that? It, it is. So the bolt cutter story is basically that, you know, and Mike and I were trying to relive this a little bit because we were trying to, like, really make sure that we're accurate when we're telling the story. But the truth is we, we faced bankruptcy multiple times, but, um, the bolt cutter story is essentially the, you know, we hadn't paid our, our landlords for, you know, probably four or five months. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have cash flow. We started the company with, uh, we were undercapitalized by a long shot, but when you're in your mid twenties and your dreams right there in front of you, you kind of, you kind of tend to go for it and, make some maybe knee-jerk reactions. Um, but anyway, we um, hadn't paid our landlord for a while. We weren't paying our, our taxes. And um, anyway, so, you know, our, our projections were way off. We thought we were going to brew about 2,000 barrels our first year, and I think we ended up brewing about a little over 400 barrels. Um, so cash flow wasn't great, and we are just struggling. And uh, so we defaulted on our bank loan, you know, due to lack of sales, and um, you now Mike said he's like, we we just can't do this anymore. It's like we you know we couldn't sales were, you know, the industry wasn't where it is today. So, um, but we we just we just created this train wreck behind us, and we couldn't uh, you know we couldn't pay we couldn't buy we didn't have money for bottle caps you know or or in the scale of what we were doing is like we'd have an entire truckload of glass, but we had no money for glue you know just to put the labels on and stuff like that so anyway the bank uh, we defaulted on our bank loan and the, the bank called and said you know guys we're gonna we're gonna chain your door shut and uh you know so the story was like i went out and got a pair of bolt cutters because i'm like my entire life was in that brewery mm-hmm. so fortunately uh we didn't have to use those the, the bolt cutters but uh you know it it did allow us to kind of search from within and say, well, you know, what, what are we doing this for? And, mm-hmm. uh, it allowed us to, to get better and to challenge us to, to make better decisions. And so we had a couple investors that really helped us out, um, signed some guarantees for us. And, um, it, 
you know, at the same time, we, we basically said we need to run our own business. So that's kind of when Dirty Bastard came out. We introduced Dirty Bastard. So that was a little different than Founders Pale Ale or Founders Porter, Founders Amber Ale. It was, you know, now we had Dirty Bastard and um, a beer that was bold and complex. And um, it honestly kind of put it, that was a beer that really put us on the right path. And then once we saw success with that brand, then it gave us the confidence to move forward with experimenting with different adjuncts. And, you know, soon after, you know, Breakfast Out was invented and Curmudgeon Old Ale and Devil Dancer. And so it was really the pivot point, like, to make you to lean towards those bigger, better beers. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, at the time we used to say, we brew beer, we want to drink. Right. And so we, we 86 a couple of our brands that, like, our, our Amber Ale was our, our number two seller. Mm-hmm. And... We kind of looked around at each other and said, who drinks this beer? And none of us did. And we're like, it's done. So yep. we brew beer, we want to drink. So that, that motto has now been changed for, uh, to brewed for us. And um, it really is. I mean, we, we live in this very selfish world of brewing beers um, for those of us that work at the brewery. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just fortunate that other, you know, the beer enthusiast community has gravitated towards beers with more flavor and more complexity. I'm interested to know what... Uh, what kept you from, I mean, most people probably would have given up at that point. Uh, what kept you, like, what kept the driving you, kept you, like, to dig in and, and just keep going? Uh, <laughs> you know, like Mike always says, we didn't really have an option. We, I mean, we could have called it quits, but you call it quits and all of a sudden the bank's going to, you know, we had, we had loans, you know, for, you know, over a couple million dollars at this point. And, um, you know, they're going to turn those loans out. <laughs> and they're going to they're say, guys, you still owe us a couple million dollars. And, um, like, we didn't have an option. We we're like, no, we have to make this work because, you know, they, they'll, a bank will turn that stuff out for the next 10, 15 years and say right. every paycheck you get, you're going to owe, right. owe us 30% of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't have an option. We we're like, we got to figure out a way to, to do this. And we we're just fortunate that by brewing beers that we wanted to drink and kind of changing our philosophy on the whole, you know, at, at first we started brewing beers that were, I always say we brewed well-balanced, unremarkable beers. We're trying to brew beers that hit a big demographic. But once we decided to make the decision to brew, you know, bigger beers and, you know, follow our passion, uh, we we're just fortunate that um, the beer enthusiast community kind of gravitated towards, or I should say a segment of the beer enthusiast community gravitated towards, what they used to call kind of the extreme beers. So would you say that um, making those well-balanced beers was probably the thing you maybe underestimated the most? Or what do you think you... I, I think it was more the fact that when... I think that was a smart move if we were alone. But at the same time, you know, it was kind of the first... Um, during, that, during those the mid to late nineties, a lot of breweries were opening up. So a lot of people were doing the same thing. So it was kind of cookie cutter. Everyone had a pale ale. Everyone had an amber ale. Everyone had some type of American wheat beer brewed with Caraco orange and coriander. And so we were all kind of doing the same thing. So we, we knew we had to differentiate ourselves and instead of trying to do it through marketing, which we've fortunately never been um, a big marketing company that we are a product driven company. And so Putting the product first, um, I think, ultimately was the um, the best decision we ever made was to, you know, it's, our philosophy is to make the best beer we can. And if a beer has potential to being better, we it's our responsibility to let every beer live up to its potential. 
Yeah, and speaking of that, you guys definitely have had a lot of unique beers over the years. Uh, Breakfast Out's a standout. KBS is a standout. Um, things that people seek out and, and want uh, pretty badly. Um, have you, at least in Texas, we've seen this craft beer scene has exploded, and you know I think Dallas is going to be up to 40, 50 breweries when we had two, uh, you know, go back, going back to like 2006, seven. Um, have you guys had, um, uh, you're still one of the pinnacle bigger national brands, I guess I would call it. Um, you know, you guys are stone or people that have been around for not a long time, but a little bit and have been established. Have you seen any issue with, uh, with tap room or space in any stores or anything like that with all of these local beers coming out in all these local markets? Well, there's no question that, you know, with the, the, the entire beer industry as a whole, you know, where it used to be essentially driven by, you know, three or four major domestic premium brands. And, you know, let's not, let's not try to put pig, put lipstick on this pig. It's like, you know, that still 80, 85% of the people in the United States drink those big, those big beers. But, um, you know, now I think, I think we have over 4,700, 4,800 breweries in the United States. Um, so we, we've got something very unique. You know, every community, you know, every community has multiple breweries now. Um, and there's no question that retailers are looking at it and saying, hey, they, they want to support these local guys, um, which is great. They should. Um, but with the influx of all these breweries, um, retailers have to start looking at, you know, what's getting pulled off the shelf. You know, what, what, what's the rate of sale? Um, and ultimately, you know, if th- these operators are, you know, these guys aren't, they, they run serious businesses, so they look at data, and they're constantly looking at, you know, what's, what's the rate of sale on this thing, and we've got, you know, we've got a handful of these brands that just sit here, um, and so ultimately, there's a, a certain amount of real estate available, and um, I, I think because of the, the number of brands that are out there right now, I think um, typically the, some of these stores are going to start looking at things and saying, look, I can't, I can't really justify giving you guys eight facings. Because you got these are these are the three beers of yours that that sell well, and these other ones, I, you know, we can't simply support every single seasonal brand because it's not it's just not getting pulled off the shelf. So, um, it, it, there's no question that I think there's going to be some. Um, the The retailers are ultimately going to make some decisions that that will hurt all of us, you know. And I mean, even though we're a larger brewery, there's certain, you know, in certain regions are going to say, look, you guys, you know, we, we have uh, five year round brands right now. And there's certain stores where we've got five facings and um, there's some stores like in our home in some of our home markets, we've got, you know, 40 facings because the, the rate of sale and, um, you know, these retailers do really well and they make a lot of money off of our brand on, off of the entire craft category. But um, ultimately, these guys are going to look at the numbers and say, these are the brands that, that deserve to be here. Because, I mean, it's, we don't have, you know, fortunately, because of the regulations, we don't pay slotting fees and you can't buy your way into these accounts. Um, so it's ultimately the, the consumers who will make the decision. You know, that's honestly the great part is the beer enthusiast community will, you know, depending on what, what products are out there, if, if you've got a great product, Hopefully the rate of sale is there to support it, and uh, those uh, retailers are going to look at it and say, well, these are the brands that we need on our shelves. So <clears throat> speaking to that, uh, Stone recently had to lay off a bunch of people, even as they were opening up Stone Berlin, because they were finding that, at least for some of the more well-established uh, beers, that 
sales started to decline quite a bit, and that affected their domestic uh, numbers. So, we're, I think I think at least I'm, I think so. We're, we see a lot of whims lately with consumers kind of blowing with the breeze back and forth from style to style. Um, are, are you finding any um, impact to your more well-established beers, or are you guys able to navigate those waters just fine? I'm, well, we, we were actually just talking about it because, I mean, um, we are in an industry where you can't, you can't sit back on your laurels, um, and this is not geared towards stone in any way, um, but we're constantly, not, not necessarily reinventing ourselves, but we're constantly innovating. We're constantly coming out with new brands. Um, that, and that's really, it's really based on consumer. Consumers are demanding that we... Um, you know, con- continuously push the, I always say we push the liquid envelope, but, you know, come out with new styles, new variations. Um, and yeah, there, there's trends in the industry, whether it's barrel aged beers or sours or, um, you know, and let alone just looking at styles. Like when, when we started this game, you know, amber rails were the, the number, the highest volume, um, styles. And then it turned into pale ales and then IPAs and, you know, um, we're still going through this IPA thing, but now, you know, session IPA is becoming huge. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden we got Gozes coming out and people are interested in those. It's, you know, and who knows? I mean, Amber's might be the, the next hit, you know, and, you know, we just released um, PC Pills and, you know, the Pilsners are now, you know, getting a lot of attention. So, um, you know, it it is what it is. I, I guess ultimately it's, um, you know, you you have to constantly challenge yourself. And you know, I always say we don't we don't follow trends; we set trends. So, um, and I think when I I say that, I mean, you know, we're constantly trying to do our own thing. We say brewed for us for a reason. And um, you know, if if we've got an idea, if we have something that we want to try, we kind of go for it. Speaking to um a well-established beer uh, that you guys have, and probably I'm sure it's one of your most noted beers, is the KBS. Um, that's one of the ones that uh, I'm, I'm not really a, a hunter of beer, but that's definitely one I will go to several stores and get my one person or one uh, limit per person uh, beer to to try to get a few of those. Um, it's one of the first beers we actually reviewed on the show because um, it was just one of the inspirations for our enjoyment of beer. I think we share that. Um, it's a really cool setup you guys have, and I, I know people have heard a little bit about it, but uh, the fact that you guys store those KBS, uh, uh, store the KBS and the gypsum mines uh, underneath uh, in Grand Rapids, um, what what actually inspired that, and what uh, how did that come about? I guess space, <laughs> space. Okay. It, so our our first location, we had twelve foot ceiling heights, uh, and um, I, I don't remember how many square feet we had, but you know ultimately we we had a pretty small footprint. And as as our brand started growing, um, you know, we we continually were renting out more space in in our facility. And um, bourbon barrels take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, uh, a friend of ours uh, was running a, a company that has these storage uh, storage facility, and it's the the old gypsum mines in Grand Rapids. And so there's actually about six miles of mines, wow. uh, of which about two miles are developed and um when we started experimenting with barrel aging um i can't remember it's 2000 2000 2001 ish um 
at first, you know, it was just a couple barrels, and then the next year it was eight barrels, the next year it was 16 barrels. And um, Anyway, as, as the amount of barrels increased, um, obviously it took up more and more space, and uh, ultimately we were like, yeah, we, we need to dedicate the space to, you know, production. And um, Anyway, so we started putting, putting some bourbon barrels down in the mines. Um, I was just down there a couple of weeks ago. Like currently we have 9,000 bourbon barrels. Wow. Uh, I think over the course of a year, we have about 14,000 bourbon barrels. So it's, uh, that's, that's where it all came about, but it is, there's no question. It's, it's a, it's a pretty unique experience to go down there. It lends a, a nice edge to the kind of myth of KBS, like that kind of mysterious bat cave quality to the beer. Yeah. Like you're kind of what a bit of Bruce Wayne with your beer. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, I mean, honestly, you walk through those mines and you, they've done some carbon dating and, uh, um, you know, I was asking, uh, the gentleman that runs the mines who helps us out a lot and. I said, hey, you know, have you guys looked at some fossils? Or, and he's like, oh, this stuff's thirty million years old. He's wow. like, there's this pre-exists life on Earth. <laughs> that's insane. It's, it's pretty crazy. That's a really, yeah, that's a really, really cool aspect of the beer. Um, I, I definitely want to be conscious of your time, so we won't go too much longer. But I'm interested to know, like, um, it's kind of two questions in one. But how much time do you have now to experiment with recipes just yourself and? What's something maybe that you want to brew, but maybe you haven't had success with yet, or you just haven't tried because you don't know exactly how to make it work? Um, so, I, quite honestly, I don't brew at all. Okay. Um, we have everything we do now. I mean, we, we, we have a, uh, a team. I think we call it, I don't know, it's got a name, an R&D team. <laughs> but um, my partner, Mike, and I, um, Jeremy Kazmicki, our head brewer, brewmaster, I guess his title is, um, Brad Stevenson, Alec Mull, director of Brewing Ops, uh, and Chase Kushak, uh, our COO. Um, we all kind of sit in those meetings and we talk about things. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like an open forum. And a lot of it is based around uh, availability of hops. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have great relationships with our hop farmers. But ultimately, when we're trying to create a new brand or something like that, we, ha- we have to make sure that you know, I always say we have to plan for success. So, um, you know, I think we, we had issues a few years ago when we had all day IPA, when it, when that, that beer hit and all of a sudden we realized, Oh, we don't have strong enough hop contracts. And so we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Now, if Brad Stevenson was in the room when we decided to do this, he would have said, well, first of all, we don't have enough hops. And so we never, it never would have happened. Um, but um, anyway, so, so we have a whole team that, mm-hmm. that sits, we get together monthly and talk about it, and we look at data. Our tap room has become a big part of, um, it's essentially our focus group. So our tap room, we, we'll create a, uh, we'll do a 15-barrel batch or 18-barrel batch or something, run it through the tap room, and then we actually created a, um, an app that, the beer enthusiast community can come in, they can rate our beers, make comments, and then they, they submit those, and those all go to Jeremy. And then Jeremy reads every single review, and then we kind of put together a scorecard on what beers are doing well, what beers don't. Um, and then, you know, because the truth is we, get, we really like to listen to the consumers. Was there one that you thought would take off that really didn't, that you really wanted to uh, succeed? Um, yeah, we all have beers that we that we really like because you know we're all different we're all made up of different dna and we all taste things in a unique in a unique way so there's styles that i want to do that we've never put into a package 
Um, I think we all have a handful of beers that we'd like to do, but you know we're still young, and there's no question that there's there's always tomorrow. So um, these beers will they may rear their heads a year or two or three down the road. Well, speaking of that, uh, I mean, do you see? I guess I'm wondering where you're, I mean, this is kind of a generic question, but where do you see founders in five or 10 years down the road? I mean, are you, are you exactly on the path you want to be with this company? You know, like where we are today is like, if somebody asked me 10 years ago, did you ever think that you guys would, you know, be the size we are or, um, you know, to see the entire industry growing like it is. Mm -hmm. I I mean, we knew the industry was going to, was going to grow but we didn't know it was going to grow at this rate i I honestly thought this would be something my kids would see um the the whole industry has grown at such a rapid rate and to see the number of breweries uh across the nation um grow as quickly and to see the the enthusiast community you know just really embrace what we're doing uh is amazing so um where are we going to be in five years um, I can tell you in five years that we will still have the same ethos. We will, you know, brood for us, pushing the envelope, trying to create new and fun beers uh, without being a novelty. Um, we're, you know, our philosophy is to add things that, that add character to a beer, complexity, but we're not going to put something in our beer just so we can say that it's got certain ingredient in it. So, um, you know, and be responsible. So, you know, Ultimately, it, we want to make people have a great experience with the liquid. And, you know, part of, the re, part of my motivation of getting into this business was for social reasons, to see how beer brings people together, you know, regardless of color or uh, ethnicity or gender or politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just, beer is a conduit that brings people from all over the world together. It's a unifier. It's a great unifier. Yeah. Before we go, can we get, uh, can we get a liner from you? Uh- the a podcast liner? A lighter? A liner. liner. You're going to spark up? <laughs> Not here. <laughs> Not as far as you know. Um, no, just, uh, just to make a basic liner, introduce yourself, and uh, I don't know, what do you want to send more to say? I always listen to Brew Bloods, or I never listen to Brew Bloods, or I'm listen- you're listening to Brew Bloods? Sure. Hey, this is Dave Ingbers from Founders Brewing Company. Please listen to Brew Bloods. Thank you. That's perfect. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks again to Dave Ingvers from Founders Brewing for uh, putting up with us and uh, putting up with our questions for about 45 minutes. Yeah, he was very chill, had no mm-hmm. time limit. He was pretty yeah. much saying, I'm just going to sit here and drink, so ask me whatever. Yeah. And he actually started off by saying, there's really no topics that I don't discuss. So. Yeah. Uh, Mark almost went a little too intimate, but we decided yes. to back off a little bit I wanted and, to, and I, go pour, you know pure beer talk. I literally wanted to hear about its intimates. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah I'm glad we didn't go there. And he's, he's uh, definitely a uh, thong type of guy. Yeah. I well, found that out after. I wasn't supposed to reveal that, but <laughs> oh no, I revealed too much. We yeah. have to go. Edit that out. All right, we'll catch you guys next week for episode 79. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you're not subscribed. Uh, go to brewbloods.net for all the links as well as uh, links, uh, phone numbers you can call us. and Brewblood Show Gmail. Email us brewbloodshow at gmail.com. You can follow us. On at Twitter. the WS9775 and I'm at the mark with the C and yes we are at Brewbloods on just that's the important one yes. don't worry about the personal accounts that's the one you need to follow that's right alright we'll catch you guys next week for another episode of Brewbloods Bloods.